Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today I will be speaking with Romy Blacklaw, who is a nurse specialising in immunisation. It's a hot topic at the moment and I'm so happy to have her on the show today to talk us through a few questions that have been sent to me that are curly ones that I don't have the skills to answer that she does. So welcome, Romy. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely very passionate about immunisation, so I'm always happy to clarify um, any concerns and questions that parents or anyone, in fact, might have about immunisation. I've been a nurse for about 11, nearly 12 years now, and I'm a mum of two little boys. It was my oldest son's sixth birthday yesterday, and my littlest one is two in January. So I can definitely relate to a lot of concerns that parents have as well um, and give them some perspective from a health professional who um, has uh, a skill base and uh, lots and lots of experience in immunisation. Oh, you are the perfect person to be speaking with about this topic then. Thank you once again. So your youngest one is about two. Um, one question that I've been asked multiple times, particularly after reviewing some of the research around, around lactation and breastfeeding, obviously our babies at the moment aren't at an age where immunisation against COVID is available for their age group. But more so I'm feeling questions from parents and particularly mothers who are breastfeeding that are worried that we can't know what a long-term effect of a vaccination for us might mean for our breastfed babies. So can you speak to that a bit or perhaps talk about like if any vaccines have ever been found to be dangerous to breastfed babies down the track? Sure. So if we're talking specifically about COVID vaccines, um, there's probably never been a vaccine more studied in the history of medicine. Um, and in fact, uh, in order to prevent um, parents being concerned about COVID vaccines um, being an issue in breastfeeding or lactating, um, it, breast milk has been tested after the vaccination. So breast milk has been tested and found not to contain any mRNA, which is the active ingredient in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. And we also know that um, after the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, breastfeeding is safe as well. So if we're talking about long-term effects, um, firstly, there's never been any history of um, a vaccine being safe and effective early on, and then there being problems with long-term effects down the track. But secondly, the baby who is breastfeeding or receiving um, milk from, um, from a woman is not actually receiving any of the vaccination. So the only thing that the baby is receiving is antibodies, which are passed through um, breast milk. And antibodies are really protective um, against infection. We don't know at this stage how, how protective they are against COVID um, and how much breast milk a baby would need to get good protection. But we do hope um, that they are getting some protection like they would from the flu vaccine if the mother receives the flu vaccine. So the baby doesn't receive any vaccination at all. Um, they only receive protective antibodies. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. And 
I think I did read that the yellow fever vaccine, which is a live vaccine, is one that is perhaps not recommended for people who are breastfeeding, but these ones work in a different way. That's right. So the yellow fever is a live vaccine. So the, the vaccine that you're receiving actually has a little bit of um, virus in it that usually can't cause harm or cause active illness in a person who receives the vaccine. But there is a very, very small chance uh, with any live vaccine that it can replicate and, and cause active illness. And I think there's been two serious adverse events recorded in a breastfeeding baby after a yellow fever vaccine in history. So even with that, um, if you were to travel to a country where there is a high amount of uh, risk from yellow fever, it would still be recommended to receive the vaccine. Um, but obviously uh, in, in a place like Australia where we have no yellow fever circulating it's not recommended mm, okay wonderful what is in the vaccines themselves what else are those compounds found in because what people are asking me is is saying okay the breast milk's been tested um, they're not having mrna found in the milk samples but how can we be sure that other parts of the vaccine aren't getting into the breast milk at all or either in in any dangerous quantity what's actually in them sure so if we're talking about um, the pfizer vaccine with as i mentioned before mrna is the active ingredient and mrna um, stands for messenger rna and mrna is present in our cells all the time uh, mrna degrades very quickly well within 72 hours and it cannot get into the part of the cell where the dna is so it's biologically impossible for it to alter your DNA. And then the only other ingredients um, in the Pfizer vaccine are lipids, which are fats. So the same as butter and oil and other fat containing foods. Um, one of the lipids is called um, polythylene glycol, which is otherwise known as PEG. And that's used in a lot of other um, common medications, usually laxatives and other products. And it is known to be an allergen in some people. Um, so that's, if you hear reports about anaphylaxis, that's usually what they think the cause of the anaphylaxis is, but it is just a fat. Um, and anaphylaxis is not very common. It's, the risk is about 2.5 per million people who receive the Pfizer vaccine. And then the only other ingredients are salts. So you have potassium chloride, which is a salt, which is commonly used in electrolyte replacement. So if you were to be dehydrated and receive electrolyte or hydrolyte um, that might contain potassium chloride. Monobasic potassium phosphate is also a salt and also found in electrolyte replacements like Gatorade or um, other similar things. Sodium chloride is literally just the same thing you use as your table salt. And um, <clears throat> dibasic sodium phosphate dihydrate, which is also used commonly in food to adjust the pH and sucrose, which is sugar, the same thing you would use to cook with as well. And that is literally, that is it for the ingredients in the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah, okay, that really spells it out. It's not quite as complicated as I had it in my mind, no, so but it might be. mRNA, salts, sugar, and water, basically. Mm. You said that a minute number of people are going to react to the PEG component of that vaccine, who in your mind shouldn't be getting the vaccine? 
Right. There's next to nobody that can't receive one of the available COVID vaccines. So it'd be contraindicated for you to receive a second dose of a vaccine if you experienced a severe reaction to a first dose. Um, again, that's incredibly rare. And there is a possibility that you could then receive a different um, type of COVID vaccination for your second dose. Um, when we're talking about mRNA vaccines, there is that incredibly rare risk of myocarditis or pericarditis after one of those vaccines. So um, the Moderna or the Pfizer. If you have had a history of uh, myocarditis or pericarditis, um, sorry, that's my dog, <laughs> in um, the last six months prior to receiving the vaccine, that doesn't mean that you can't receive a vaccine. It just means that you should consult with a doctor before receiving the vaccine. So, so myocarditis and pericarditis are uh, kind of heart condition, heart inflammation conditions. Is that correct? That's, that's right. So if you had that years and years ago, that's not a reason why you shouldn't receive a vaccine now. It's only if you've had it really recently. And of course, if you have any other type of heart conditions, there's no harm in consulting your GP or your regular cardiologist prior to receiving the vaccine. And actually the risk of myocarditis is higher after having COVID infection than it is from having the vaccine. Yeah, I was reading that, that the background incidence of myocarditis and pericarditis is sort of 18 to 30 per however That's many right. people they were studying. But after the COVID vaccine, it's only kind of around 30 anyway. That's right. And myocarditis and pericarditis are known to occur after viruses so that's why mm. they think um, it's to do with the immune response that you have to the vaccine sure sure before you do go i just wanted to ask you in some places it is still a little difficult to get pfizer or moderna even if you do fall into those recommended categories like people who are breastfeeding what is in the astrazeneca vaccines if that is the most available option to people and they're thinking about getting that that sure so the AstraZeneca vaccine um, works a little bit differently to um, the mRNA vaccines it uses a viral vector um, which is a um, it, so it uses a harmless adenovirus and adenoviruses are very common um, many common colds and um, gastro type bugs are, are um, types of adenoviruses and this viral vector is made harmless by removing its ability to replicate or cause active virus in the body. Um, so the viral vector carries the gene for the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus spike protein and all the harmful genes are removed. So the body then learns how to make the spike protein without the harm of active COVID and the body's immune system reacts and produces antibodies that will activate to destroy COVID uh, when it comes in contact. So, so that's the active ingredient in the vaccine is the viral vector and, and the, the gene that it carries. Um, and then the only other ingredients are histidine. Um, and so they're amino acids that help stabilize the viral vector. And histidines are found in large quantities in meat, uh, fish, poultry, nuts, seeds, and whole grains. And sodium chloride, which we mentioned before, which is just salt. Uh, magnesium chloride, which is also a salt, and something called um, EDTA, so disodium editate. And it is a type of preservative 
it's commonly used in lots of canned foods and um, it has been studied for years and years and it's got a very good safety profile. So it's used in the vaccine because the vaccine comes in a multi-dose vial and it needs to be protected from contamination. And it's used in a really, really small, minute quantity in the vaccine. And then you have uh, ethanol, which is just alcohol. And again, that's used for the same reason, to protect the multi-dose vial. And it's also used in a really minute quantity. And we have polysorbate 80, which is an emulsifier. So that's used in lots and lots of vaccines. And it allows ingredients that act like water and oil to mix. And um, it's commonly found in lots of frozen foods like ice cream. So that's it for the AstraZeneca vaccine. So again, there's not a lot of things in the vaccine. Again, you, you receive it in a tiny um, dose of 0.5 mils um, in a total of two times uh, spread out by a number of weeks. Um, the vaccine is not absorbed in the bloodstream and it's injected into the muscle where it drains through the lymphatic system. So again, not really going to get into the breast milk. No. Uh, so it, it has been studied not as much because uh, the vaccine, AstraZeneca vaccine, hasn't been used as, as much around the world as the Pfizer and now Moderna vaccine. So it has been studied. Um, I think they did one study where they found a very, very minute amount in breast milk, um, but there was no harm caused. By and that again, it's, it's the deactivated, it's a deactivated virus anyway. So That's if right. it was in the breast milk, it's not really going to do anything by being there. And That's it's probably right. going to and get destroyed quite easily by the baby's gut system. The majority of evidence that we have about the AstraZeneca vaccine comes from the UK, where obviously they had a huge amount of spread of COVID in the community. So a lot of breastfeeding mothers received um, the AstraZeneca vaccine and there was no safety signals um, at all. Yeah, so no, no big red flags coming up from that. No, and there's no, there's no mechanism for it to cause issues down the track. So the, the problems that we do see from vaccines, which are incredibly rare, like um, thrombosis um, after the AstraZeneca vaccine that we have seen, yeah, or that means clots. and the um, myocarditis and pericarditis heart problems that we've seen after the um, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, they're to do with the immune response. And that immune response happens really quickly after the vaccine. So when you start to feel like you're having flu-like symptoms, a bit tired, muscle achy, headachey, that's when your immune response is occurring. And that immune response is what triggers um, those problems like the heart problems and the um, blood clots after the AstraZeneca vaccine. So if that immune response uh, is happening really quickly after the vaccine, there's no mechanism at all for years down the track or even months down the track for there to be a problem. That sounds very reassuring. Thank you so much for your time, Romy. Is there anything else that you would like to tell us about before we wind up? Yes, absolutely. It just It always comes back to the benefits outweigh the risks. We have so much safety data about these vaccines now. Over 6 billion doses have been given around the world. And I think um, even in those incredibly, incredibly rare things that could possibly happen where it would have to be one in a million chance, we know about them now. So we know that the vaccines are safe. We know they're effective. I'm much more concerned about the long-term effects of a COVID infection. Yeah, I'm in that position now too. I wasn't always. I admit I was, even as a coming from a health professional background, I was a bit sceptical at the start. I shed a tear when I had my first dose because I was sure. still like, oh, am I doing the right thing? 
Sure. And absolutely. Particularly <laughs> breastfeeding as well. And I just, and, but the more I learn, the more confident I feel in the decision that I've made for me. And nobody, nobody wants to see somebody harmed. The health professionals and the medical researchers are recommending vaccination because they know it's safe and that they know it's effective and they want to protect people. Nobody mm. wants to harm anyone. Yeah. Thank you so much, Romy. And we can follow along with Romy and her information that she is providing on these topics and her myth busting that she's doing on Instagram. Her handle is at the immunization nurse, and I will include that in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Romy. Thank you so much, Anna. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Please remember to subscribe and leave a five-star review and share with anyone you feel may benefit from this content. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join me on social media at Anna Cusack Postpartum and head to my website www.annacusack.com.au to check out the ways we can work together. Please use the contact form on the website to inquire about having me run workshops with your client groups or book me for corporate speaking or professional development presentations. See you next episode.